Pat Davis, thank you for joining me on New Mexico in Focus today. It's great to be back Yeah, in I appreciate, person. appreciate you coming down, and it is nice to have you in person. Um, so we're talking this week on the show about sort of the media ecosystem and the role of journalism in our state, and we will get to your role uh, in all of that in just a minute here. I wanted to kind of start by having you describe the circuitous journey <laughs> that has been your career path. You have been a police officer, yeah. the founder of a politically progressive nonprofit, um, and these days the president of the Albuquerque City Councilor and yeah. a cannabis industry consultant. So how, how did those things <laughs> inform your interest in news? Have you always been a news junkie? Uh, I didn't realize it, but I totally was. And after uh, we sort of launched the first newspaper, my mom reminded me and said, oh, yeah, like when we were growing up, I grew up in Georgia back east. Um, my dad would always take us to town every Thursday night to get an early copy of the Friday newspaper because it had the rundown of the high school football games. Everybody obituaries were there and you had to know who to call and do all those things. And so there was a ritual around Thursday night. We got to go to town and we got to go to Dairy Queen where my dad got the newspaper. And then there was a big piece about it. Um, and then growing up, like sitting around my grandmother's table, my aunt was a county commissioner. All my uh, aunt, uh, my mom and my other aunts were all teachers or in the school system. And so they all talked about what happened at the school board meeting and all that. And we all sort of picked up on that a little bit. And I think I never lost that. Um, but that was kind of that curiosity of what's happening, who made that happen that turned into policing world. Because, you know, asking those questions and trying to figure that out is a lot like journalism I figured out. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I mentioned a minute ago the the nonprofit that you founded. Gosh, when was that with Progress Now? 2010? Okay. It was like 2020, 2011, yeah. Okay. As soon as Susanna Martinez came into office and all the progressives freaked out. Right. right. Yeah. So how how did that how did you use that role and that nonprofit and how did how did it interact with the news media? in ways that you felt were sort of advantageous to your agendas at the time. Well, you know, you think about the sort of the nonprofit ecosystem now, right? Voices has been around a long time as a really Mexico Voices for Children is a good policy uh, group. There have been there were some organizing groups that were loosely affiliated. Labor was doing a lot of door knocking and organizing. But everybody looked at this and said, what happened in what was supposed to be a blue state? We started to see Republicans gaining ground and said, what was going on? And we saw two things happen. One, there was less media coverage of issues. And so that made it harder for us to talk about those kitchen table issues with facts. And two, nobody from the progressive side was really uh, reaching out to the news, was really trying to be an influencer on commentary and opinion and putting the, the, the left progressive message out. So that was our job. Um, we had these really smart policy people who knew, who were working inside the room. Our job was to be outside the room, get media attention on the crisis, on potential solutions, who was trying to solve the problems and who wasn't. Um, and it became incredibly successful in part because no one else was doing it from the left. Even the Democratic Party at the time um, was sort of struggling to raise money to just hire basic folks. And so we became a nonprofit sort of newsroom for all the nonprofit infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, I can certainly remember being a reporter during that time myself and hearing more often from conservatives than I did from progressives. Um, so fast forwarding just a little bit into your time at Progress Now, you ended up under that umbrella founding a digital nonprofit newsroom uh, called the New Mexico Political Report. What was the idea with that newsroom and, and what gaps were you trying to fill in the ecosystem then a decade ago? Well, we had spent three, four years there trying just to get a foothold and how do we talk to people, learning how to, we did polling and messaging and trying to figure out how to talk to people and get their attention on issues um, and educate them. 
what we realized was um, here was the end of, at that time, Governor Martinez's first term. She had just gotten reelected, was heading into the new legislature. And we saw for the first time in leading up to that, that most of the major news outlets weren't even sending a reporter to Santa Fe. None of the TV stations had an assigned reporter that year. The Journal had the, uh, Dan, one of the Dans, um, the AP had somebody, but all the news outlets south of I-40 were using sort of um, syndication or AP wire. And so we said, we have to be in the room, somebody that understands these issues. So I got a grant really quickly and hired Matt Reichbach from New Mexico Telegram that had just sort of was struggling to, to gain readership. And we gave Matt our email platform of 100,000 people and just started covering it. And during that session, all those newspapers down south started picking up that coverage. And we realized we had something there. And it still exists today. It's still one of New Mexico's longest running nonprofit papers. It is, for sure. So that news organization has taken a little bit of heat from me and from others in particular be, because um, it does not disclose the sources of its funding. Yeah. Um, how successful sort of broadly do you think that operation was in terms of the goals that you were trying to accomplish when you founded it? We took a lot of heat, rightly so, when it was me trying to find a newspaper. So we set up some rules. We said, yeah, and we're, I use these in all of our papers today, that it has to be someone who's credentialed by a journalism organization, the SPJ, for example, um, the National Federation Press Women, for example, somebody who has a professional code of ethics. Um, we put that online. We invite reporters to screen those, uh, those stories and give us feedback, kind of like an editorial board. Um, we did at the time, but really it was the proof of the work. Like there was a rule that if you had a liberal, you had to have a conservative. We were really strict about that. And what we found was the conservatives were also using our stuff because their name was in it. And so they kind of let us go with it because it was down the middle. We didn't carry opinion that was one-sided or the other or any opinion at all for a long time. Um, and I think there's a piece of that that matters. I think people care less, I think, about the ownership if they can read the balance there. It's when we get into these blogs and all this other stuff, and we'll talk about um, that when it looks like an agenda and feels like an agenda, it turns people off and you can't make money at that. So I think the market is trying to tell us something there. Yeah, and fair enough. It's hard to argue with some of the reporters who came through that newsroom. Andy Lyman, Joey yeah. Peters, Laura Paskus, who of course works here now. Yeah. Um, certainly some really talented reporters came through that newsroom. And I think that's it. New Mexico has a great cohort of great reporters that know each other, know their issues. Um, and when they're willing to lend their name to these organizations, I think it really helps. Um, because they know they have all their opportunities. Bylines matter. Bylines totally matter to people who know, like the insiders, right? Sure. Most of those readers probably never knew a million online readers a year. Most of those folks probably never knew Laura. Mm -hmm. But the folks who wanted to have their story told or when Laura called them, they knew they had to respond. That means an awful lot and still does. Let's fast forward to 2020. Um, you, and in particular the sort of late summer of 2020, you are kind of starting your second term on the Albuquerque City Council. The pandemic is raging. I have just taken a 50% furlough um, in my job working at the Alternative Weekly newspaper yeah. in Santa Fe. You go ahead and decide to buy an alternative weekly newspaper in Albuquerque. Had you hit your head? Yes. What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I think COVID had, a, had something going. Part of the problem was um, we were doing, I was doing work as a city councilor trying to help small businesses sort of apply for their PPP loans. Um, and Tierna Enos, who had been the associate publisher there, and I had known at from the, the alibi, at, right? at the alibi, yeah, at the city, and I had known forever, reached out and said, Is, can, does the city have any grants? What can we do? 
and newspapers weren't eligible. And so we were looking at other ideas and really started talking to the old owners and saying, what's going on? Well, it turns out that for the first time in 27 years, they were going to stop publishing, right? There was no, I mean, think about all weeklies and you know this, totally based around activities and events and restaurants and things to do. Um, Congregating. Yeah, and that's kind of a thing we couldn't do. Uh, and so we, we made an offer to buy the old alibis. It turned out it was probably too far gone at that point. Um, but what we decided to do was we saw a gap. The journal was doing as much as the journal could do in Albuquerque. But there were these micro stories, these community stories that needed to be told about artists and small businesses and, you know, in my district, for example, and I, that we were helping. Um, and so I teamed up with Abby Lewis, a, a lawyer here in town. Um, and we offered everybody that worked at the Alibi the chance to come over and start a new newspaper um, and see if it was worth doing. Um, and we thought we would have about six months that we could figure that out. Um, and then hopefully pandemic would be done and all that money would come back. And of course, two years later, it never did. But what we really learned was there were some great reporting in there. Um, and so we, we put a digital focus on it. Uh, I brought all my skills from, from Progress Now and the digital political world about how to gain readers um, through, at the time through Facebook and Twitter and all those things. Um, and we gained more than 50,000 email subscribers in the first year just by giving the news away. People wanted, remember, people wanted anything they could find about COVID, about what was happening. Uh, and we realized that you could have a digital first paper with the credibility of a print paper. Um, and we had taken it down, I think, to eight pages, right? The pickup version was just, you know, two folds. Yeah. Um, but as things came back into life, we've been able to bring that back up. Um, but it was not, uh, it was, the idea of buying a newspaper um, was not on the list when, when I got into City Council. Not on your bingo card, if you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely not on the bingo card. <laughs> so one thing I want to talk about in terms of like how you think it has satisfied Again, like we were talking about with the political report, mm -hmm. what you were hoping to accomplish there, those gaps you talked about. You told my friend Alex DeVore, who's the culture yeah. editor at the Santa Fe Reporter at the time, that one of the things you really felt like the journal was falling down on were the sort of deeper dive, heavy investigative yeah. pieces. Do you think folks have seen as many of those in the paper, um, which is what you rebranded the alibi into yeah. essentially, um, as you had hoped at the beginning? At the very beginning, I think we did. There was a lot. There were uh, opportunities, a lot of nonprofit grant dollars to sort of keep newspapers afloat, and they were they a lot of them sort of winked and nod and let us say that we were the continuation of the alibi for their grant purposes, which was huge. Like this wouldn't have happened without nonprofit journalism support. Um, but when you look at that first year, right? Um, we won the very we won uh, the best right wing reporting from AAN, which is the Association of Alternative Newspapers, the Alt Weeklies, best right wing reporting um, for the day after Coy Griffin showed up in the U.S. Capitol. We grabbed those videos before he deleted them, and that literally started his path. Um, was from the newsroom at the paper um, that reporting used in the impeachment trial of Donald Trump from an Albuquerque Alt Weekly that had been in business about six months. Um, I think we saw that we were doing that over and over again. John Sims, a great Native American reporter from Acoma, won national awards for writing about missing, murdered, and indigenous women. Oh, by the way, um, just last week won his second national award for best continuing coverage in the country by the New Mexico uh, National Federation of Press Women mm -hmm. um, for that topic. So what we saw was we can win awards because there are good journalists here. I'll say what the paper has really struggled with is keeping that going because it's pretty much grant driven. We don't ask for subscriptions. Um, advertisers support most of the event coverage and the arts coverage, but being able to pay a reporter 40 or $50,000 a year long enough to get into an issue is hard to come by in New Mexico. 
as we were talking about before we sat yeah. down and turned the cameras on, you said to me, you guys are expensive, which we are. <laughs> yes, um, you are very expensive. <laughs> Reporters don't get paid very much, but all the things that go with them, that's right. very it expensive. money to produce this stuff. Yeah. So another thing that you talked to Alex about in that 2020 interview when you were making this purchase, yeah. you talked to him about firewalls. Yeah. Um, and I want to read you a quote that you gave him at the time. You said, we're going to take a pass on covering Pat Davis as a key figure. So we're coming up on three years now yeah. since that purchase. You've been on the city council the whole time. You're council president again now. Um, I know you're not running for a third term, right. but what do you say to folks who are suspicious of a newspaper that's owned by a sitting elected official? I think they're right to be, and I want them to be. But I also think you have to look at how we execute that. Carolyn Carlson is a longtime uh, journalist from New Mexico, ran her own newspaper, was an uh, 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 from the journal, had covered the city and other cities. Carolyn's columns on city council, I don't see till you see it online. Um, and very rarely does she mention me. When she does, it's usually something I said that was stupid and she calls it out. Um, we open our editorial pages. Anybody that wants to yell at me gets published. Um, other folks don't have that privilege, but we go out of our way to do it. Um, but on the rare instances where we do try to cover the, where the editorial team chooses to cover the city, I'll use Tabitha Clay, um, a, veteran reporter on crime and criminal justice reform, won statewide award last year for New Mexico Federation of Press Women for her coverage getting police body cameras and reports showing what happened in the 14 minutes of that APD SWAT fire in Southeast, in my district, right? Criticizing the city for doing that. Um, and because we're in litigation, I can't talk about it, I can't talk to her about it, still can't. Um, but I think it shows that we're doing good work on the, that they are doing good work on the city. Um, if you just let journalists do it. And I think the work has to speak for itself. And look, if, if somebody else wanted to do this, I welcome them to do it. Um, I still have not made my money back on this and probably never will, um, but no one else was gonna do this. And so the alternative of let's not have anything versus let's have a thing run by the guy, let's keep a good eye on him, seems like a lot better option to me. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Speaking of your other gig, uh, working in the cannabis industry yeah. now as a consultant, I know the paper has a reporter who is assigned to cover that industry. How does that work? How do you reassure folks about those firewalls you told Alex about three years ago? Yeah, it's, so it's been a little, that's been a little more complicated because a lot of my clients and the folks that we work with to get into the industry want to be featured in a paper, right? Um, we have an advertising uh, group run by uh, Kim Stark, who's fabulous, uh, who takes care of those things. I don't see those dollars, and we actually segment those cannabis dollars into a different account to be sure that it stays away from the normal, uh, the rest of the business operations that if and ever there was a profit, I might ever get a check from. Um, but honestly, you know, it's a pretty, again, it's a pretty open policy. If you've got news, we try to cover it, whether you're ours or not. Kim doesn't know who our, our clients are mostly. Um, but again, if somebody else did it better, I think the, the industry would jump onto it. But it's the largest cannabis magazine in the state, in part because people who know the industry are giving it a platform um, to be equitable on good, bad, and ugly, whether we're talking about industry trends or industry problems and oversaturation. Let's open the lens a little bit and get into some ecosystem questions. Yeah. And, and as a way to get into that, um, let's talk about what else you're doing in the space right now. We're sort of at a place now where it's, you know, Pat Davis newspaper magnate who nobody ever heard of except for the nerds like me who are yeah. really paying attention. You have since, you bought the paper, you've, you've since bought the Corrales comment, 
the Sandoval Signpost and the Edgewood Independent. Um, newspaper ownership for at least the last 15 years has been a brutal yeah. business um, and a terrible business model, frankly. <laughs> it is. Um, how is it going for you? Are you making money? Do you care to make money? What are, I, you, what are you doing? I, I do care. I would like to make money. Um, but I will say that transition from cop who could sort of speak both sides in the cannabis conversation about legalization to cannabis consultant, it's, I, I have been very transparent about this. The money that I've been able to make helping other folks help their cannabis business has gone into newspapers, right? So I'm still a city councilor. That's my salary. That's my health care. Um, I put that into that because I think it's important. And here, you know, here's why. Like, next door is not a good substitute for the Albuquerque Journal City Council column. We talked about this offline. It's not? It, it turns out it's <laughs> not. Uh, it, it, there are some bloggers in town who do like three quarters of a good job of explaining an issue and then kind of go off the rails and get people all distracted about something that's in their agenda. Look, when I'm a city councilor sitting there at midnight in the basement of City Hall, it honestly matters if people understand what we're talking about. And our city is just too big um, to to educate everybody from the dais one-on-one. -on -one. The same goes for a village like Corrales. If if we don't have the Corrales comment for those four or 5,000 households in that, that area, no one's gonna cover that. The Albuquerque Journal's not gonna put a person there just to cover those issues. Um, and so, like, they lose the opportunity to participate in democracy. Um, and those are the fun papers. Those are the ones that have the cool stories. Those are where the really strange things happen in New Mexico's small towns. So I have this sort of romantic view that if we can just keep those papers alive and at least keep one person going through all those little city council meetings and county commission meetings and school board meetings and just educating people about what's happening in the community, they're more likely to engage, they're more likely to show up, they're more likely to participate. Um, and from that, we'll help everybody else too. Um, the I old informed electorate makes a better decision at the ballot box. A absolutely. So. They're going to show up anyway, mm -hmm. and right now it seems like everybody's voting against something. Mm -hmm. Like, let's at least give them something to try to vote for, or at least understand what they're voting about. Um, I think those things are really important. And so the business model goes, hey, all these things are not going to stand alone on their own, clearly. Um, the, the signpost, for example, did a great job. It was a profitable paper when we inherited it. So was the comment. It was doing very well. Um, but it didn't have a long-term strategy. All of these papers, by the way, um, have been print, including the old alibi mostly, uh, have been print with very little digital, had not gotten to the 21st century. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what we've been able to bring, is we're bringing a shared uh, web platform. Everybody uses the same system. Shared email systems, that lowers cost, right? Instead of paying five email bills, you pay one. You pay five web bills, you pay one. We share designers, and so each of them had like a freelance part-time designer because once a week or whenever they put out a paper. Now I have two full-time designers with benefits because How I have many enough work. Journalists total at those four papers. Full-time journalists, we have six. Mm -hmm. uh, we have fourteen freelancers um, that regularly contribute, and we have another six back-end folks that are full-time: sales, production, etc. And they all get benefits. And they all get paid really well now um, because we can share their time amongst a bunch of folks. And you're picking up stories from some of the nonprofits I've noticed uh, as well, whether it's Source New Mexico or New Mexico In Depth yeah. or others. Those are appearing as well. Um, I want to ask about media consolidation, right? Yeah. That's been a hot topic since before I was a reporter. Do you think there is some risk in sort of homogenizing the flow of information, whether it's you or someone yeah. else who owns four different newspapers? What do you think the risk is there? And how is the juice worth the squeeze? 
it has to, the, we, we see what Gannett does, right? They come in, they've gotten rid of the newsrooms, and then they, they sell off the nice pieces, and then they sell off the masthead, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're trying to re, uh, we're trying to undo that by putting local people back into these communities, right? We, we hired Glenn Rosales, for example, who has a long history of, of writing for the journal just to cover the Edgewood Independent. Terry Last, T.S. Last from the Journal North, now lives in Sandoval County. He's the editor up there now and for our papers there. We're trying to be sure that we refocus on that and get away from syndication to get away from some of those pieces. Uh, but I will say what you mentioned is, is exactly where I think this model goes. I think it's our job as the local newspaper to cover the local stuff. We're now segmenting out and, and all of those nonprofits like Searchlight are gonna cover those in-depth issues. Um, and we'll pick that up and we'll give them readership for their mission and it helps me fill news pages and get more eyes on our issues. So in a 12, 16 page paper, I might have a third of it would be local stuff that we create. A third comes from our partners who do investigative long form stuff. And a third is the classifieds and all those cool things that go, you know, the little widgets that go in the back of the paper. Um, and I think that's gonna be the news cycle for a little while. I'd love to have an investigative reporter at all five papers, but I don't need one if Searchlight is doing its job. And you've got a way to put Searchlight stories in front of people who might not otherwise see them. I'm, I'm sort of hearing that as part of your model. Uh, I wanna close by talking some, th this is a question I'm gonna be asking everybody for this show that we're making. What is the state of the media ecosystem in New Mexico right now? Are we all completely screwed or does this still matter? It totally matters, and here's how I know it matters. Like I said, when during COVID, when we decided just to give away the news to get eyes on, on readers, we got more than 50,000 email subscribers. That's the second largest email list in the state behind the journal. We influence more people every morning uh, and every Friday when our news comes out in our locals um, than any other newspaper in, group in the state except the journal. That says an awful lot about people who want more news. And I can tell you that looking at the stories they wanna cover, when we watch the data really closely, Everybody clicks the local story first. Everybody clicks the local story, but they spend more eyes on those long form statewide stories. They really, they're longer stories, but they're spending more time with them. What it tells me is there's still a class of folks who really, really care. But unless you live in Corrales or Bernalillo or Edgewood or Moriarty, a lot of our communities don't have that option anymore. And so where do you go, right? It very much folks don't care about what happens in Santa Fe unless they're in session. And it's hard once you lose a reader. So I think we're gonna have to get back to this model of uh, figuring out a, a, a model, and Nick down in Silver City is doing a great job of what's working well, consolidating the back ends. I think we're gonna look for co-ops and opportunities like sharing printing costs and design costs amongst these small papers. Trying the boats together, if you will. Yeah, it's totally gonna do that until we get this right. But I'll tell you now, not every week, every paper makes money. Um, and so sometimes one subsidizes the other. And if you care, you're gonna have to pay what used to be $20 a month uh, or $20 a year for your subscription. It's gonna cost 50 or $60 to support local journalism, but I think it matters. So the ecosystem is not just us sitting around talking to each other and about each other. There are people who this still matters for from your perspective. It, there are totally enough people in New Mexico to make this work, and there are totally enough people in every town in New Mexico to make this work. It's just how, how big you make it. The independent works. It's 4,000 square miles in four counties, but you put enough of those people together and there are enough eyes. Um, but they have to support it. Um, and you know the idea that you can just get it online on Facebook or free it, it can't forever be our model. Pat Davis, thanks for coming down today. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Jeff.